0: to life and now for our speaker. It's finally happening. You see, David is he's watching the beloved Ark of the Covenant finally being transferred and transported to what is hopefully its final resting place the newly developed capital city of Israel, Jerusalem. Oh, see, David had just become king and He's making it a priority to reestablish the proper worship of God that was lost under his predecessor, Saul. The ark itself represents the presence of God. Wherever the ark is, God is. Saul had become so separated from God under his leadership that when the ark was returned, by the Philistines after they captured it, after they didn't want it anymore because it brought disease and famine to their people, Saul didn't even attempt to bring it back to the people of God. The Philistines left it in a city called Korath-Jerum, and King Saul just let it sit there for the rest of his days. He never went for it. He never retrieved it ever once. He just left it out there sitting in the desert. Saul didn't even feel the need to get it. Because by this time, when they returned it, Saul was getting all of his spiritual advice from a pagan witch. However, David is king now. And even though he has never seen the true public of worship, in his lifetime, he wants to retrieve the ark. He wants to go and get it from the desert and bring it back to Jerusalem. It's time for the ark to be back with God's people. And David decides, as the new king, to have the entire nation. He wanted everybody there. He wanted everyone out to witness and watch the relocation of the ark in the desert back to the home. This is a big day for Israel. It's a big celebration. Tens of thousands come out, much like what we would call a military parade today. They're out to watch how they're going to do. How are they going to move the ark from the desert back into the new capital city? Cheers and celebrations are taking place. They're dancing, they're cheering. It's just an all-out party going on because the ark now, God's presence has been discovered and is coming home. Now, I will tell you that everything didn't go according to plan. There were a few bumpy roads, quite literally. See, David, even with good intentions, even with the best of intentions, failed to read the Torah before moving the actual ark. You see, there are strict instructions on how to do this, on how to relocate and move the ark itself. And this led to a very embarrassing moment for the new king, and unfortunately, the death of an Israelite. And once David stopped and realized what he had done, he studied, he researched, he read on where he went wrong. He realized that even with the best intentions, with good intentions, he had broken God's commands. A reminder that God won't compromise his holiness even with our best intentions. So this time, instead of placing the ark on a wagon pulled by some oxen, David went and found members from the tribe of Levi to move the ark in accordance with the Torah. And so they did. They picked it up and through the desert, they started heading toward the city of Jerusalem. Oh, it was a sight to see. Oh, this is a big deal. The streets of Jerusalem are lined with people. They're just singing and they're shouting in celebration for the ark. It's finally being united with God's people. David can't contain himself. He's he's lost his mind almost. He's leading the parade himself for the triumphal entry of the ark. And David gets so filled with joy that he just lets it all go. He makes a fool out of himself. He actually removes his kingly robes and puts on a common person's clothes. And he just dances through the streets just ridiculously looking like a fool. And once the parade is over, David places the ark in the center of the city. And he orders for a tent to be built around it. Not in the desert anymore. No, no, no. It's at home now. And he built a tent over it. And he stands back and David can see. He can see a vision that one day that tent will be a temple And all will know that Yahweh is the God of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we just take this time now to enter into your gates. Lord, do as you wish with us. We want to study and dive into your word. I pray that through my delivery of your word, God, that there be no confusion on who you are. There'd be no question, Lord, that what you want of us and to do with us. God, I pray that only the words that come out of my mouth are the truth, only spoken from you, inspired by you. If I say anything that's of man, of flesh, of incorrect, then correct me now on the spot. Lord, I just pray that through the delivery of your word, someone will come to know you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's hard to believe, isn't it? That it's already Holy Week. It's here. It seems like we were just gathering in this place celebrating the birth of Christ. Now I'm going to tell you that I also know when we celebrate that there's also the sound of bells in the air. So I'm going to slow it down just a little bit. (laughs) But here we are. We're already talking about his final week what we call Holy Week. I just want to say a special thank you to my wife last week who stood in this very place and gave the word and the message from her heart. Um, As I was driving home, I was listening to it, and uh, my dear, you have a beautiful heart. And so thank you for doing that. And now we're here on Palm Sunday. Hard to believe. And I imagine it was for them, too. Now, I'm going to say that the week that we're about to enter into is quite the roller coaster for Jesus as we look through the Scripture and we dissect it day by day. All this season, all this last several weeks that we've been gathered, we've been going through the book of John, examining the miracles that Jesus has performed in that book. Now, this particular week, the one that we're looking at right now here on Palm Sunday there really isn't gonna be a miracle that takes place. Palm Sunday doesn't really have a miracle as we would define it so far, but there was certainly a sign that happened. You see, it's, it's the season of Passover. And right now, everyone in Israel is gathering and they're all the way to Jerusalem. They're coming from the north and the south, the east and the west. They're just coming in numbers and numbers heading toward this great city. And fortunately, Jesus and the disciples didn't have to really travel that far. It's almost like they planned this out in advance, perhaps. So they were only in the city of Bethany the week before. And if you recall from my wife last week, Jesus went to Bethany after he had heard that a dear friend had passed away, Lazarus. And shortly after his arrival into the city of Bethany, Jesus performed one of his final miracles before heading to Jerusalem for the very last time. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Come out! And he walked out. And now it's time. Time for Jesus to make his last and final walk to the city that has symbolized God's heart for his people for generations. Now, it would just so happen that for the crowd that was in Bethany that witnessed Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, it wasn't a long journey for them either. In fact, they they went ahead of Jesus, the scripture says. They went ahead of him and wanted to greet him at the gates. They were so excited by what they saw, and I would be too, by the way, if I watched a dead person come to life. I'd be amazed or afraid, one of the two, but I'd be somewhere in that zone that this guy was dead, now he's alive. And so they were just over the moon, so they ran ahead of him and wanted to wait at the gate. I think they just wanted front row seats to whatever was about to happen. And so if you were to right now take all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and lay them side by side, we can draw a conclusion that Jesus was approaching the city of Jerusalem from the east. And that's going to be important. He's coming from the east, and he's traveling through the Mount of Olives, and he's entered the city through the entrance called the Golden Gate, or the gate on the east side of the city. There it is in today. Now, this entrance was the gate closest to the temple. It was almost a direct path if you were to walk through it. At the time of Jesus, there would be a massive temple right above that gate, and you can just walk right in. To get to this gate, Jesus would have to walk through the Kidron Valley, which you see there, directly passing the Garden of Gethsemane to the right, a place that he'll be visiting much later. His view walking up to the valley would have been that of a gate in the wall, like you see. However, above the wall would have been a clear view of the massive temple that God's people have built. It was just so big, it was massive. You could see it from miles away. And this, by the way, would have given the Pharisees a very clear and perfect front row view of everything that was about to take place. They can see it all. And as they were approaching that gate, Jesus told the disciples to go and give me a donkey. A donkey. Give me a donkey. And so the disciples went. And they, they commandeered a donkey, and they brought it over and gave it to Jesus. And when they did, he sat down on this donkey, and he, and he began what looked like a pretty uphill journey up into the gate. And when he did that, the crowd was shouting. They were celebrating and waving palm branches, is what the scripture says that here is this Jesus on this donkey and they're waving palm branches, shouting and singing for joy. But why palm branches? Why not something else? Why not firework? I don't know. Why, why are they palm branches waving around? Well, this is in accordance to tradition. It's a tradition that dates back to the time of the Maccabees. You see, during that time, the, the palm or palm branches have been used as a national symbol of the rededication of the temple in 165 BC. And palm branches were waved again in 141 BC when Israel won full political independence as a self-governing state. So they wove palm branches to sign a victory and freedom. And palm branches will even appear to God's people one more time Later in the future, around 70 A.D., after Jesus, and they will appear on coins that the Judean insurgents created after they burned Rome burned the temple down. It was a sign of patriotism for their fallen Israel. So they made the coins and passed them around as currency among those scattered among the lands. And then now, on this day, we see the people of God waving palm branches as Jesus enters the city. It was meant to be a gesture of honor, of victory that they've overcome. They finally have gotten to the place they have been waiting for. They were recognizing Jesus at this very moment as the king. But Jesus even himself knew on the back of that donkey And as he was approaching the gate, and even though they are shouting and cheering his name, he knew that their eyes were still blind to the truth on who he really was, on why he was really here. It would seem that everyone that was waving the palm branches were being blinded by their own nationalism. They were giving their king a patriotic parade, one well-deserving, of course, they, they only could see him, this Jesus on the donkey, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead just moments ago. They can only see this person as a political and national savior, like the kings of the past of Israel, a person who will overtake Rome and give Israel their promised land back. This is why. This is the reason why that the same crowd shouting Hosanna will be shouting crucify him" in just a few days. That at the end of the week, when they see everything that Jesus has experienced and gone through, they will all be sitting there and feel like they have been made fools out of. We were cheering this guy on. He pulled the wool over our eyes. This isn't a king. He's not here to do anything. Crucify him. Give us the other one. You see, if only if they, at that time, outside the gates, while they were shouting and waving their branches, if only they had paid attention, if only they would have noticed the details, the sign, they missed the sign. If only they could have moved their eyes down just a little bit more, get it off of all of the celebration and look down and see the donkey. The donkey. See, donkeys were a symbol of peace in Israel. They were never used during war times, ever. You would never see a general or a mighty military leader riding a donkey into the war. Yeah. yeah. You're not gonna do it. The other armies here, look at that going. I think we got this one in the back, guys. Yeah. Alright, attack, go. They're not going to ride a donkey. In fact, in Israel, really the only people that were using donkeys were the priests. They used them in the temple. And here's Jesus telling the disciples, go get me a donkey. A donkey. The king doesn't ride a donkey. Give me a donkey. That's what I want to ride on. And he gets on this donkey and goes through the gates if only the people would have recalled what all of them would have learned in synagogue school when they were growing up as young boys, if they can remember that when Israel was conquered by the Babylonians, if they can remember when Israel, after gaining their freedom, were set loose to rebuild the temple a second time, and if only they can remember what Zechariah told that same nation upon building brick after brick the temple, that Zechariah looked upon all the nation of Israel and said that a Messiah is coming. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. If only they can remember that their Messiah is coming not as a mighty king, but as a great redeemer. And as Jesus in that moment right now is crossing under this gate, this golden gate. The people there that were witnessing this without even realizing it, they couldn't make the connection just yet, I don't think anyway. But they were witnesses to history, they were witnesses to the second triumphal entry of God into the city of David, the city of Jerusalem. Much like the very first time when the ark entered its gates, the crowds were once again shouting and celebrating. They were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And it must have been that same type of energy that David felt that led him to dance in the streets, that the presence of God was with them. You see, David's vision had come true. It had come true. The tent that the ark once stood over, that beautiful presence of God, is now a mighty temple. However, David could not predict one thing. He couldn't predict that this mighty temple, as glorious as it is, would not be the permanent resting home of the ark. In fact, at this point in time, in Jesus' entrance, there is no ark in Jerusalem. It's not there. The ark stood in that temple, well, maybe not that one, but in the temple until about 586 B.C., when Babylon destroyed the first temple and overtook Jerusalem. After that, No one knows whatever happened to the ark. There is absolutely zero recorded history in the Bible or anywhere else on what happened to the ark. Indiana Jones may know. It's in a warehouse somewhere, according to him. But there is one theory. The most well known theory right now states that the Levitical priests moved the Ark to Egypt just before the Babylonians showed up in 586 B.C. And from there, it was moved to Ethiopia, where supposedly it resides to this day in the city or in a town of Axum in the St. Mary of Zion Cathedral right now. And to this day, only one man, A monk known as the Guardian is allowed to see what they believe is to be the ark. Church authorities have never, in the history of their possession of this, has never allowed it to be seen by any other eye or to be studied by any other person since their possession. Is this the real ark? I doubt it. We don't know. But why do I bring this up? Why do I talk about the ark on, on Palm Sunday? Because I'm going to tell you this, that everyone right then on this day, as Jesus is going through the gates, as they're shouting and they're singing Hosanna, that on that day, everybody knows that there is zero ark inside that temple. They all know it's missing. They all, they all know it's gone. They don't know where it is. They know it's not there. In fact, there are some people who believe because they do not have the ark in, in Jerusalem that that was the reason why Rome was able to overtake them because they didn't have the presence of God where it should have belonged. And then now those standing outside the gate see Jesus entering their city, his city, his city. And perhaps they're thinking now that they are witnessing the ark's return. That it's back. God's presence is back in the city of Jerusalem. And maybe they're shouting and singing because to them, they are getting to witness the second triumphal entry of God into their city. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. So why does this matter? Why does any of this matter? Because he's not done yet. I want you to buckle up here. He's not done yet. All this history that we have, that we recount on Palm Sunday, we're fortunate thousands of years later, we're able to recount and look and see all the events that have taken place. But there are things that are still yet to come that we don't know. He's not done yet. Even though there is no miracle recorded in John about Palm Sunday, there is a sign that has yet to come. One that has not happened even to this day yet. See, this right now will not be the last time, friends, that you and I will hear about this specific gate. We will see it again. You see, in the year 810, hundreds of years after Jesus' crucifixion the Muslims took control of Jerusalem and it was under their possession they walled up and sealed the golden gate they walled it in it it was impenetrable, they couldn't get in the same gate that Jesus entered in, in the year 1102, the crusaders took control of the gate and they reopened it they punched the little bricks out and you're allowed to travel in and out again until the year 1187, when the Muslims took repossession of the gate for the final time. They, the Muslims, still have possession of that gate to this day. This is the gate today, the golden gate. Now, why is there so much interest in this gate This particular gate? Well, because there is prophecy that speaks about it. According to Jewish prophecy, this right here will be the gate that prophet Elijah will enter and announce the entrance of the Messiah, his second return. This is where Elijah will walk in and tell the world that your Messiah is coming. It will be at this gate right here that the Messiah will enter Jerusalem a second time, a second Palm Sunday, if you will. And the reason it was sealed was to prevent the Messiah from entering. And about 500 years ago, the Muslims also built a cemetery right in front of it. Everything you see there is a cemetery. There's no traffic in or out, can't even get in, it is not open to the public, you can't even go there. It is completely sealed off. And they built this cemetery, because according to Jewish scriptures, a priest is not allowed to be in a cemetery, for they would be considered unclean, such as Elijah. The cemetery was built to keep Elijah out and the gate was sealed to keep the Messiah from entering. Better safe than sorry, I suppose. But I don't think I need to tell you this. I don't need to tell you that the Messiah is coming back and none of these things are going to stop him. A cemetery will not stop Elijah from coming back and announcing the arrival of the Messiah. A stoned-in gate will not prevent our God, Jesus, from entering his city, his gate, and reclaiming his kingdom. Just like he did on Palm Sunday, he will once again enter those gates. He will reclaim what is his but I'm here to tell you this morning that on the day that Jesus entered them on the first time in Palm Sunday, he did more than just enter a city. He wasn't just interested in the bricks and mortar of what made Jerusalem mighty. He was there for the temple. No, 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 no not the temple that was built by man's hands, the mighty temple as it was. No, no, he was there for the temple that his father built. You, you are it, I'm it. He didn't come to defeat earthly kings. He came to defeat the one thing that no other king has been able to do, death. He took on sin, he took on evil, he took on darkness and he came out as the victor. He came out on top. You are the reason why he entered the gate that day. You are the reason why the next week has to take place. You are the reason why we have an Easter Sunday. The thought of you is why Jesus left the Garden of Gethsemane and said, not my will, but yours be done. It was always for you. We enter his gates with thanksgiving in our heart. He entered those gates with you on his heart. You are the reason why Jesus didn't fight Rome with the sword, but he reclaimed a kingdom by his death. The question is this. What are you going to be shouting when he comes back and enters his gates again? Hosanna or crucify him. Are we gonna be ready? On this Palm Sunday, we're gonna prepare our heart and our mind for the week that's coming ahead. We're entering into Holy Week. This is the week where if you've been a believer since you were a little kid, you know the story well. You know the events that take place, you know what happens next, and then this thing happens next, and then that happens next. But this week is celebrated in the church for a reason. Without this week, there is no church. There is no gathering. There is no redemption. There is no salvation. There is no hope at all. But because of this week, we have freedom. We have hope.
1: We have redemption.
0: We have a promised life. A life that Jesus gave up so that we can have it ourselves. Good Friday is coming and Easter is right around the corner. So this week, prepare your hearts and your minds and let the story of Jesus' crucifixion renew you. Let it cover you. If there's anything you're carrying anything your bondage that you have in your heart, and your mind now. It's time to give it up. It's time to give it over. It's time to place an offering onto the altar. No, I'm not talking about mine. I'm talking about your offering yourself to the altar. And let this week... That this week be the week we remember Jesus. Father, we pray now that we take the story that we're about to enter into and don't write it off as, as something that if I, I'm familiar, I know what happens, but God, maybe we can right now find a a very well internal thing that needs to be given over to you. And Father, I pray now, as the pastor of this church, that we as a collaborative body, a unified body, speak the name of Jesus. Speak it with confidence as a redeemer who could come and save souls. May we take the story of Easter and let us share and pass it around. God, I pray that there's anyone in this flock Anyone here, that you the sound of my voice who is wrapped in bondage and sin, may they have freedom. May they go and give this to you, Lord. And Father, I pray now, Holy Week, may the week that we transform too, Lord. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.